First Peter, and picking up in chapter 4, starts with, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Okay? Now, as you know, that whenever I see transition words like for as much then or therefore or because, we got to pick up and remind ourselves, what's the context? What, is it, what, what, what have we been talking about in this letter? And if you go all the way back to chapter 1, he's encouraging them because they're in the midst of heavy tribulations. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, wherein you greatly rejoice now for a season. They heard the faith, they were so happy, and yet if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The readers here are experiencing the cost of faith in Jesus Christ. There was hardship. There was animosity. If you were a Jew at this time, and you professed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, all the unbelieving Jews thought, you're a heretic, and you've abandoned the faith, and you frankly deserve to die. Okay? That's among your own people. And then if you have to flee from your people, which many of them did, um, and the persecutions that went out from Jerusalem, that was the dispersion out among all the, the, gen, the Gentiles or the Greeks, you went among them and they are worshiping their own idols. And if you're telling them, your idols aren't real. There's only one God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and He is the Lord of Lord and King of all kings, they weren't too keen on your existence either. Okay? Now, we have it so easy that we really have a hard time relating to what's going on here. But there is a cost, tangible cost, following Christ. And so he's encouraging. This is a letter of encouragement <laughs> in the midst of hard persecutions. And it goes on to saying that over in chapter 2, even when they speak bad against you, that they lie about you and tell all the more sort of manner of evil things against you because you're a follower of Christ, he says, continue to do the right things. It's over in chapter 2, dearly beloved you, dearly beloved, 2 and 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech thee, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, your manner of life, honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. They're, they're, they're slandering you. They're blaspheming your name and the name of all of your, your, your brothers and sisters. Whereas that they're speaking evil, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We talked about that extensively, about even if they're here mocking you and slandering you and saying all sorts of things now, on the day when Christ returns, they will have seen how you responded and how you continued to faithfully serve Him and continue to do the faithfully good works, and they'll have no choice but to glorify God. And that's your enemies. Okay. So continuing on from that portion down two and three, it gives you very practical exhortations of what it means to do good works and what does it mean to obey God and submitting to the laws of the land, submitting to your masters, those who are in authority over you, even if they're not good, even if they're, um, you know, the exact word, let's see, even if they're not good and gentle but also froward, 
We don't use that word very often, but froward means perverse, crooked. You ever had that boss that no matter what you did, he hated you and gave you the worst jobs and picked on you and cut your pay. Just all imagine the worst possible one, all wrapped in one. All right, you're supposed to faithfully serve even him, not because he's great, but because you're a servant of the king, and this is what the king's called you to. Okay, and it goes on talking about wives and husbands and um, the relationship there and how we can glorify God in fulfilling those roles. Uh, wives submitting to your husbands and husbands dwelling with your wives with honor, not treating them as something uh, cheap or unnecessary, but holding high value on it. This is the helpmate that the Lord has created and that you will um, cherish her. And then finally down in verse 8, it says, Finally be you of one mind, talking about within the church, having compassion one of another, loving as brethren, be pitiful, that's well-compassioned, be courteous, friendly and kind, not rendering rail, evil for evil or railing for rail, railing, but contrarize blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Ye are called to return blessings upon those that render evil to you. Okay? For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Guile's deceit or deception or lies. You know, those half-truths, those white lies, those things that you convince yourself, it's really okay. No, that's guile. Okay? Let him eschew evil, flee from evil, do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of good? So the odds are better in your favor. If you're out doing the best that you can, the best good that you can do, you're not naturally going to accumulate as many enemies as you would if you're out causing harm. But, even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, verse 14 says, but, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're doing good and you're still suffering for it. My dad would say, no good deed goes unpunished. Right? Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, hold Him as holy, high, and be ready to give an answer for every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Okay? We don't like to think about terms of suffering. Right? We try to avoid it. That's understandable. But if you're doing right and you're still suffering for it, that's okay. Sometimes that's how the Lord works in our life. And He is allowed to do that. And that's actually the pattern that we have in Christ. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Did Christ receive what was due to Him? No, he had been perfectly just, and yet he suffered. Now, he suffered for your sake, and he put upon all his all our sins upon him, but he was doing right, and he still suffered. And if we're not better than our master, and we're doing right, it's okay to understand and expect the Lord can call us to suffer for it. All right? And so that's what it picks up here in verse 4. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Okay? What does this mean? Does this mean to the point where if, I, if, I, if I'm suffering because I'm doing right and serving God, that I'm no longer going to sin at all? It does not mean that. There is a time in our life, in verse 3 it will say, that in time past where we looked just like the world. All right? Before the Lord quickened you, made you alive, you were dead in trespasses and sins, you acted like the world, you talked like the world, you thought like the world. All right? You were dead in sins. You were a slave to sin. That was all you knew, and frankly, you enjoyed it. Okay? When He gives you new life, and gives you a new desire to serve Him, and you start trying to fight against that sin on a daily basis, there is something new going on here, right? That pattern is not going to continue the same way. And so you can have an assurance that when you're willing to do what's right and to please God, even if it causes you to suffer for it, you can be assured you're no longer in that old state. You're no longer just a slave to sin because that slave to sin doesn't care. He's not willing to bear on his body or any form of discomfort to do what's right. Okay? That's only something that a born-again child of God is going to If you're willing to suffer in the flesh to please the Lord, that's something that only comes from Him. Okay? You're in that. So there's, there's a dividing point in our life. There was the before, and then there's the after. How do we live after? Right? So all of us as believers should be in that after point. Right? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He's the Lord, and He's the King of all kings, if you can honestly believe that from your heart, that's because the Lord has already done that work in your heart. Before, and then before, you couldn't. Right? The carnal mind is at enmity with God. It cannot understand spiritual things. Zero. Zada. Nip, zada. Nada. Zip. Getting ahead of myself. Right? So arming yourself with the same mind that Christ, while He was here in the flesh, He suffered. While we're here, we'll suffer. Okay? That's okay. Pleasant? Not necessarily. But okay. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So that's, that's, a, that's an assurance for you that you are no longer in that old life. That he should no longer live the rest of his time. That rest of the time means the remainder. Y'all, y- y'all know that we're going to die? Right? We've got a certain amount of heartbeats left. A certain amount of breaths that the Lord is going to give us and one day he's going to say no more. Right? And so what do you do with the rest of that time? Whether that's this afternoon... Or 80 years from now, what do you do with the rest? Well, before, there was a way that you lived. But with the rest, it should look different. It should. For in time past of our life, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, so however long that you're allowed to live here in this world, you shouldn't live that to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So there's really two things that you can serve. Two, you can serve the lust of the men. And when you were dead in trespasses and sins, that's all you served. That's all you knew. That's all you wanted. The things that made me feel good, what are the me, myself, and I, What? how am I going to be happy? You know, right? That's that's The world says that's your ultimate goal. What makes you happy? What do I want for my children? I just want them to be happy, right? No. I want to serve the Lord. I want my children to serve the Lord. Is there great joy and satisfaction and happiness in that? Absolutely. There's also suffering. 
There's also pain. There's also trials. There's also tribulations. But is it worth it to serve the Lord? Yes, and that's infinitely better. So you've got two 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 mindsets there. One is serving the lust of men, and that's all the things here, all that vanity and vexation that Solomon would say. He tried it all, right? He tried out wisdom. He tried out the pleasures of the world. He tried out building great things. He tried it all. You can go read Ecclesiastes. And his summary of all those is it's just vanity. It's all empty. It's all worthless. And vexation of spirit. It's just really a trial, a burden. Okay, So he should no longer live the rest of his time to the flesh, to the lust of man, not like you were when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and not like that, but live to the will of God. And this is not some mystical, far-off, if I could just discern the will of God, if I just have a divine revelation so I could know what the will of God is for my life. Here you go. This is the revealed will of God. You have to make a decision and you want to know which way to go? Read this. See which one draws you closer to Him to glorify Him, to meet more like His Son and which one leads you away because often it's kind of that stark. Sometimes there are two that, man, these are both that seem like they can serve the Lord. Get into prayer and pray about it long and hard and see which one the Lord leads you to and gives you peace. But if it doesn't pass the first checkbox of what does His revealed Word say? Then you don't have to go any farther. If this does not please the Lord, if it is not in accordance with what He has said, so if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments, right? Do you love the Lord? Then yeah, well, you need to know what He said. This is what the purpose of His will is. And so that's, that's what we're doing in that after, with the remaining days. I am seeking the will of the Lord. I am willing to suffer in the flesh to do the Lord's will. Okay? Sometimes that will happen. And that's okay. For in the time past of our life, all right, we're looking at that past tense, it may have sufficed us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Lust of men, will of Gentiles. Same thing. Gentile is another word for, for an unbeliever. All right? In that time past, you were happy, and that word wrought means to work out fully, to accomplish, to pursue that endeavor. That was what you were willing to do. And what does that look like? What does the will of the Gentiles, the lust of flesh, look like? It gives you a list. When we walked in lasciviousness. That's a $4 word. No one uses that. What does that mean? It means impure lusts and desires. That which is illegal, that which is wrong. There's often a heavy sexual connotation in there. Any form of sexual sin, whether it's uh, lusting after something with your eyes or what you're looking at on the computer or TV shows that you're watching with scandalous people or um, engaging in sex before marriage or Adultery, you name it, it's a broad category of any form of sexual sin and desires that are illicit. That's the old way. That's what your carnal flesh says. Yeah, give me that. But when you're born again, if you do engage in that, it hurts. It's no longer pleasant. You've, you get racked with guilt and you often you'll shy away from God. It's the exact wrong thing. Right? When you do fail, you go closer to Him and you plead for forgiveness and confess your sin to Him and go on the next day. That's the old way. Walking in it. And that means that living in it over and over and over again and not being ashamed. What was so problematic about Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, he's around all these people who are just having these illicit sexual relationships. I mean, they were trying to beat down the door to assault sexually these two angels, these men, right? 
everybody in the town. And they weren't ashamed of it. Their sins were open before it. They didn't care. Right? You say, well, Lot, he was a righteous man. Yeah, well, he allowed himself to be led astray by his own daughters. Right? They, uh, they wind up getting him drunk and, and having relations with him. And that was how you had the nations of Moab and Ammon being formed by those incestuous relationships. Well, Lot, he may not have known what they were doing after he was drunk, but he knew what he was doing when he was getting drunk. Right? He was overindulging. So listen, they walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelries, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. These are all the things that are of the old. The old man. The thing that you did before? Yeah. Not now. Lasciviousness, lust. You know, so you got that kind of sexual component. Excess of wine and revelings. That's, that's that, the, the things that we like to put inside our body whether that's alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, the things that I want to make myself feel good, I want to escape from something, right? That's the excess of wine and revelings. Revelings is, is partying, right? That's what it is. Well, you're going out and you're trying to change how you feel by all this behavior, right? Excess of wine. And there, there, there's a spectrum. I'm not going to say a word to any of y'all. If y'all go out for an anniversary and you have a glass of wine, I'm not, all right? There's frequency and there's amount. The lower you are on the spectrum to less frequent and less amount, I don't think that'll be problematic as if you were drinking every day and to large extents, right? If you're drinking drunkenness, there's no excuse for it. That is of the old man. Probably you're using that to cover up some other problem in your life that you're not dealing with, that you're not giving to the Lord, right? But those types of behaviors, and that can be with food, that can be anything that you're using to, I'm seeking to please my body, right? That's the will of the old man, right? Rather than let me seek to please the Lord, to die to that stuff daily. We walked in lasciviousness, in lusts, desiring those things that we ought not to have, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, revelings. You know, that's that could be just any form of entertainment. Right? I enjoy watching football with the parish. That's fine, right? We may watch two or three games a season. And I don't have a problem if you go tailgate once in a while. But if your life is... Come the fall season, don't talk to me, except for I'm going to be at the tailgate every day. And that is my that becomes religion for folks, where that is more important. I'm going to spend half my income on making sure i got the perfect tailgate and the perfect cornhole and everything's just glorious and I'm going to have the great tickets, right? It's become an idol in your life, right? There's a spectrum, right? Frequency and amount, right? There's overindulgence in that and in revelings, right? Um... You know, ladies may not have that same temptation. How about how about shopping trips, right? You're going, you need something, you're going to do it fine, right? You're going, you don't need anything, you're just killing time and you're blowing money, right? <laughs> that there's an overindulgence for an entertainment value. I'm trying to feel good about something by doing things here, right? I'm trying to find joy here outside of rejoicing in the Lord, right? He's given us all gifts and He's given us talents and He gives us resources. Are they to blow it on yourself? No, right? That's the old man's thinking. This is all mine! Yeah, this is my fiefdom. Let me just, whoo! Use whatever it pleases me, right? As opposed to a very different mindset of I'm here for a very particular reason. Right? I was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm in His service. He's given me access to this amount of resources and time and energy and health. How can I put it into his service. What will glorify him? What will seek his will? 
It's a very different mindset. Right? Banquetings, overindulgence in, in food, um, and abominable idolatries. It's, that's the kind of a catch-all. Abominable means villainous in this context. It, criminal. Anything that is contrary to the Lord's will, to His Word, and it's more important to you than Him. Right? All these things is describing a past tense in our life. And so if any of this describes what you're doing now, it needs to become a past tense. Right? Is this a fun sermon to preach? No. Is it a fun sermon to hear? No. But I'm charged with preaching the whole counsel of God. That's why I preach through books, because I can't skip it. All right? For in time past, it may have sufficed us to live that way in the will of the Gentiles. With all these things. But now, as we're not, one of the things you may suffer is the folks you used to hang out with and do those things, verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Speaking evil, what is the matter with you? What do you mean you're not coming out Friday night? What do you mean you're not buying the keg this time? What do you mean? Right? You're just a goody-goody. You're, you're whatever. You understand that there are friends that you hung out with that you may have been closer. They could be family, right, by blood, who are still engaging in that lifestyle, and they are going to dog you if you stop, right? <coughs> That's part of the suffering, okay? That suffering in the flesh is being willing to deal with somebody making fun of you, laughing at you, thinking you're dumb because you're not doing the same foolish things that you used to indulge in. And if you're willing to endure that, be comforted. That's a sign the Lord's working on you. Right? You wouldn't be willing to if it weren't for Him. Wherein they think it's strange. Something's wrong with Him. We've got to have an intervention. He's not going out with us anymore. Right? That you run not to the same excess of riot. Speaking evil of you. Now, if you just feel like, I've got to, I've got to correct these folks. I've got, to, I've got to defend myself. No. Verse 5. These folks, along I'm with us, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You don't have to defend it, right? They've got to stand before God one day who's going to be those that were still living when the Lord comes back and those that are already dead. Everybody's going to stand before the throne and they've got to give an account for their actions, all right? You don't have to defend yourself to them, okay? The Lord, He's the final judge, all right? And there's no pulling the wool over His eyes. Okay. Who is ready to judge? To who shall give an account? Those that are speaking, um, you know, evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Verse six. For, for this cause was the gospel also preached to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in flesh, but live according to God. In the Spirit. Now, this verse confuses a lot of folks. If you go read commentaries, there's going to be wildly different understandings of what this means. But we're going to have a grammar lesson. Okay? The grammar is what helped me. For this cause was the gospel preached to them that are dead. Alright? Those that it's being referenced to, they are currently what? Dead. Dead. Okay? Now, there's two ways we can take this. Physical death or spiritual death. Well, let's look at the rest of the grammar and see if it opens our eyes on which way it should be. Those that are currently dead. 
that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the gospel in the Spirit. Alright? When was that gospel preached to them? It was was. Right? This is something that's already been preached, and they are dead. That's very different than someone who is dead, and they're continuing to preach to them, right? I believe this is referring to physically dead. This is one who is physically dead. The gospel was preached to them, and they were judged in the flesh, but they currently live to God in the Spirit. You say, what? Brother John, it's kind of confusing, right? What's the context of this whole book? Persecution. To be judged in the flesh by those that are currently dead, he's, call, he's writing to assure them about those that have been martyred, those that have been killed. That pattern of suffering, yes, the gospel was preached to them too. They're living right now in the Spirit with God in heaven. They're dead presently in the body because they were judged here in the flesh. They, had, they were willing to stand fast so much that like Stephen, right? one of the first deacons, he was given a wonderful testimony and he was very bold right? and, and told them like it was that they had, they had slain the Lord. And what was the consequence? They took up big old rocks, not pea gravel like out here, big old rocks and killed him. He heard the gospel, he believed it, and he was judged in the flesh by wicked and evil hands. He suffered for it. But he lives according to God in the Spirit. So those who suffer so much here, even if it takes your life, you're not dead. Physically your body will be in the ground, but to be uh, depart from this body is to immediately be present with the Lord. That's what we said... The Lord said to that thief, thief on the cross, He says, the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today. Right? It's, okay. For this cause. But, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean He's wrapping up and the end of the sermon's at hand? No. Means the Lord's coming back. Okay? Now, his timetable and his timeline and his measure of time is very different between yours and mine. Right? I get irritated when the computer won't load within two minutes. Right? I was trying to get my hotspot to work so I could open up the minutes for conference, and I just couldn't get enough signal in here to even do it. I'm having to walk the computer back to the house. I'm like, this is so frustrating, so so much time being wasted. I was out maybe seven minutes. Right? But the Lord's time is perfect and He is going to come back in His great time and each of us, self-included, needs to live each moment with the understanding that Christ could come back today. Right? The big moment of waiting in the history of the world was for Christ to enter the world. Right? Born, lived, died, rose again. That's the big moment that everything had been leading up to. And now it's just kind of wrap up, right? Just waiting for him to come. The end of all things is at hand, right? So we should do something. <laughs> be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Sober means, means be alert. That's the exact opposite of all those other things of being just overrun with pleasures of the world and excess in, in, in food and wine where your, your head's just swimming and your thoughts distorted. Versus being sober-minded of, my Lord's coming back. Right? 
It's like the difference of how you clean your room when mama's still at the grocery store versus when you hear that gravel. Y'all, we need to hear the gravel every day. Right? Be engaged in serving your Lord. If you don't have an infinite amount of time, you only got the rest of the time here. And that could be cut off at any point because the Lord can come. Hear the gravel. Telling that to your friends. Hear the gravel. What are you talking about? You're nuts. That's okay. Suffer for it. We're a preacher. All right. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. All right. Your relationship with the Lord and giving attention unto your prayer life with the Lord. Pay attention to it. It's not something that needs to be neglected or an afterthought or something that, well, I'm just tired, so I'm not going to pray. Just commune with your Lord. You get to visit directly with the God of the universe. All right? I think I've used this illustration before. You know, y'all know there's like a red phone in the White House, right? Somebody really needs to get a hold of the president. They call that red phone. And somebody's going to answer, right? You and any of y'all got number to that? You ever tried it? No. No, right? That's, that's classified. You don't need to know, right? We're not privileged enough. You have access to the red throne going straight to the throne room of God. And He picks up every time. Not only that, He cares what you have to say. If I call the president, who is this? Where? Did you vote for me? No. <laughs> right? But by the work of Jesus Christ, you have access to the throne room of God. And not only that, you're not just like a welcome visitor, you're an adopted son, child. Welcome. Visit. It's kind of your intro into visiting with Him in heaven, right? Take advantage of it. Watch unto prayer. Be ye sober. And there's this idea of, of temperance, that self-control over our bodies and over our minds and our attitudes. You've been given that ability by that new birth, by the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Watch unto prayer, verse 8. And above all things, priority. How high is this? Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Fervent charity. That's a diligence. That's a passion. That's a, that is a focus. Now, does charity show up in this letter? I don't know if y'all remember. Go back to 1. And 22, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. He says, you're already obeying the Spirit. You're loving one another. That's great. Seeing you already do it. Then, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Don't just stop with, okay, I've got my teaspoon level of love. Nice to see you. Right? Go away. Right? But loving fervently beyond what the bare minimum is that we often do. Right? Does it take effort to love one another? Does it take a vulnerability to love one another? Yes. Does it take time and attention and care? Yes, by definition, you have to care. <laughs> right? Loving one another fervently. And then go over again to chapter 3, verse 8. We read it again. Um, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one another. Love as brethren. Being pitiful, being courteous. There's a way that we conduct ourselves. He says, this is very important is that you within the church have got to love one another. Are you going to get any positive reinforcement from the world in your service to God? No! And if you depart from the, the, the right way, the path, you'll get a lot of positive free encouragement. Right? 
But this is your band that the Lord has given you here to walk together, to encourage one another, to love you, not to beat you down when you mess up, but to continue to help you up and go along. Does that mean I'm not going to tell you hard truths? Y'all don't mean that at all. Y'all been here long enough. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll do it as lovingly as I can. And you do that for each other. Not because I'm disappointed in your existence that you're not perfect. Y'all, that ain't the standard. You can't get to perfect. But because I love you and I want you to know the truth and continue to do better, it's the same reason I teach my children. And sometimes we just have to recite that when we're doing it. Here's why I'm doing it. I love you. I'm going to teach you. Because I love you, here's a path forward. Watch me. I'm trying to live it out too. Yeah, don't have that lesson if you're not walking that way, right? That's the moat and bean conversation the boys were talking about during the meeting, right? That it's, it's easier to point out someone else's flaws, but we need to examine ourselves. You know, the world will charge us with hypocrisy because you're sinners. Well, y'all are just a bunch of sinners. You're a hypocrite. Yes, we are sinners. We become hypocrites when we're unwilling to continually examine ourselves and live according to our convictions. And our convictions have to be governed by this. A conviction is how do I apply this in my life? Okay? My best understanding that I have right now, how do I apply it? If I know that I should be doing something or not be doing something and I don't do it, don't strive to do it and don't apply it day in and day out, I have become a hypocrite. Now there is a difference between striving and not caring. Right? The, the, the true not caring is, uh, let's say I have a problem with my mouth. Right? I say I, I make sailors blush. Right? But in the church, or when church folk are around, I don't. Right? I sound very different. But the other six days a week, and 23 and a half hours of the day, I talk like that all the time. Am I being hypocritical? You better believe it! That's very different with someone who's trying to control their mouth, and they trying to have diligence, and trying to be consistent, and that guy cuts them off, and their mouth goes, Poo! And, and you immediately, Lord, I know I should not have done that. I know that's not pleasing to you, and confessing it, and pausing, Lord, give me strength not to do it. There's a very different standard, right? One's just living in it, and pretending to be something not. And the other was recognizing, I'm a sinner, but I'm trying <laughs> Lord, by the grace that you've given me and what I've learned so far, let me apply it, let me grow, let me do it. I need your strength. I will fail. Right? That's very different. The one where it's 23 hours out of the day, that's just still walking in the will of the Gentiles. That's not leaving that behind. Okay? So above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If I love you enough... And I see that there's an issue, and it's worth addressing, because not all issues are worth addressing. That, that involves wisdom and discretion. And I go to you privately, and I share with you, and I encourage you, and try to help you go along the way. What will I not go to everyone else and do? Talk about it! <laughs> right? You want to cause strife and division and hardship, you can start go yammering. Right? Gossiping. How can I pray for you when you're really just trying to get goods, or the info, Right? Folks know, right? We need to be genuine in our care, not, um, not two-faced, right? Not the double-minded man. All right? Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And this is not in the terms of a cover-up. Right? This is not hiding sin so people don't find out about it when there's a larger issue that needs to be addressed. All right? It's a very different scenario. This is 
the small things that really don't matter that I can overlook altogether? You know, Brother Richard forgot to shake my hand last week. That's two weeks in a row. <laughs> it's a small thing. It doesn't matter. It's petty, right? Sometimes we allow those birds to get under our saddle and we just have ulcers under our fannies over them, right? Let that go, right? That's using charity. I love him. I know he didn't mean to miss my hand. He was just busy. It's okay. Think the best of him. That's what charity is. Go read that chapter on charity in First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, right? Thinking the best of folks, not thinking the worst, right? Charity covers that multitude of sins, all right? Allowing us to overlook it and not go and spread them, right? This is, this is, this is real world churching, all right? This is how we interact as brothers and sisters of loving one another in spite of one another, right? You know how many sinners make up a church? All of them, right? Our head, was, our head of our church, Jesus Christ, is sinless. He's our perfect example. He is the only one, right? And so while we're all laboring here together and each of us pooling the gifts that we've been given by Him to serve this body, there's going to be times when we're going to cause offense. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing, right? We're going to sometimes badly. But how we treat each other in response to that has to be governed by the love, right? You want to see church discipline go awry, you do it with no love, right? Then you have this kind of notion, well, I'm better than you and my sins are not on display today during conference and so wham, I'm bringing down the hammer. Versus recognizing, y'all, we all struggle. We all have sins. Is that an excuse for any of us? No, it's not. But it does affect how we care and mentor and encourage and love one another. Loving in action. All right? So this is all that part of what are we doing now? This, is, this, is, this, this chapter is that dichotomy. There's the before, and it describes the before, and then it describes the now. Now we're being sober. Now we're watching under prayer. Now we're having fervent charity. Verse 9, now we're using hospitality to one another without grudging, inviting your brothers and sisters into your home and not grumbling about it when you have to do it. Right? You shouldn't have to do it, but looking for opportunities. How are you going to get closer and love one another? By being together. It's a strange notion. Right? Using hospitality, um, sharing your gifts, sharing your resources, sharing your talents among each other, you know, and not doing it with bitter, bitterness or, or, or frustration. You, know, you want to take a good deed and ruin it? Have a sorry attitude. Right? You can be doing the right thing with a wrong attitude and have you edified and built up those around you. No, you've displayed, I want to pout. I have got no more maturity at this point than a three-year-old. One time Megan and I were having a fight. We were teenagers or whatever. And, uh, she's like, how old are you? And I said something like three. How old are you? She's like, older than you. <laughs> Fighting in the back of my grandparents' car. I'm back from like Bethany or something from a church meeting. It was ridiculous. But sometimes we act three, whether our spouse is acting older than us or not. Okay? So having a good attitude. As every man hath received the gift, whatever it is, even so minister the same one to another as the good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Some of these men have a gift for prayer. Pray! Some of y'all have a gift for exhortation to the church where you can read something over the course of the week and you think, I really need to share this. Do it! Right? Some of your sisters have the ability to, you know, older sisters can go to the younger sisters and, and give them encouragement. And, you know, that's 
part of the role. Titus 2, the older sisters teaching the younger sisters how to love their husbands, love their children, not be sober. All these things, you can take your real world practical advice of here's what I've struggled through in my walk with the Lord. Let me help you avoid some of the pitfalls. Right? Those are gifts. Those are talents. You know, not everybody is called to be a preacher. That's okay. Right? That would be really awkward if every single one of us were preaching. But each of us does have talents and gifts from the Lord to use in His service. Right? And that's something that we need to be working on and figuring out what has He given me and how can I use it? Right? Because if we're not using what He's given us, we're not being good stewards. Right? The steward is taking care of something on their master's behalf. Right? And so you care about his will and his desires and what does he accomplish. He loves his church. He loves his bride. He wants his bride to be built up and cared for and loved and cherished. Use your gifts and talents there. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God hath given. All right. So speaking, when I'm when I'm up here speaking, I need to do it with one with humility, but also with firm grasp and uh, lose my words here. It's funny. Um, the ability to communicate. This is what the Lord says. If I'm up here just rambling and giving my opinion, there's no real value in that. Right? My opinion is no more better, no no better, no more better than any else. Right? And so leave it aside. But if I'm going to speak, I better speak as if given the living word of God. Now He doesn't give personal. Divine revelations from the from the from the for the word anymore, right? The, the, it's been sealed. It's been closed. Don't add to it. That's how revelation ends. So don't add to the word and don't take away from it. Okay. But when I speak, I have to give you. This is what it says. And then you have to go read and make sure that is what it says. Okay. I love you. You love me, and you trust me. Go fact check me. All right. I'm not perfect. And. Gratefully, I know that I desire the best for you and want you to get the closer to the Word. Not everybody who teaches has that motivation. There, the New Testament is replete with examples of warnings against false teachers who are going to try to deceive you on purpose. There are some who do it out of just ignorance. Right? Bless their heart. There are those who do it on purpose. All right? And you, as followers of God, who have access to His Word, need to be skilled at being in His Word and learning it and being able to discern that which is good from that which is ain't. Technical southernism. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, you may think, well, that's not talking to me. Minister, that's that's like a word for preacher. You know what minister means? To serve. You know how many of y'all have a ministry? Are you breathing? You have a ministry. (laughs) You have the ability to serve. What pattern did Jesus give in John 13 after the Last Supper when He came down and washed His disciples' feet? He gave a pattern of service. He came not to be served, but to serve. And this is the example He gave to you and to me. And happy are ye if you do it. If any man minister or serve, let him do as the ability which God giveth. He's given you abilities to serve. Do them. Do them for His glory. Do them for His kingdom. Why? Why do we do all this? Why? What's your motivation? We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We know that, right? So why do we do it? That God in all things may be glorified. That is the radical shift in your mindset from before in the old way. You're serving yourself. You want to please yourself. Let me have fame. Let me have fortune. Let me have all the stuff that's going to make me feel good. Right? 
What are you pursuing now? Glorifying God through Jesus Christ. That in all things, every aspect of my life, let me please God. Let me glorify Him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And that dominion includes over you. Man, how often do we forget that? That if He is the King of all the kings, and He is, that in King includes being the King over me. And everything that I have, and everything that I am, and everything that I will be. And yet so often we've got to get over here in this old set mindset of let me... Let me get my little fiefdom. I want my package deal. This, I want it to look like this. I want it to be like this. And I want to, here's how I'm going to grow it. And this is what I'm going to do. And just, and it's all focused here and in this world and on what I want. And y'all, it's easy to fall into that mindset. This is something you got to gotta battle every day. You wake up, battle it. What am I here for? Remind yourself, woke up. Oh, I woke up. Why am I here? I'm here to glorify God. So what's the best thing I can do to start my day? Talk to Him! <laughs> right? Pray, commune with Him. Be watch, watchful unto prayer. And I need to do this more when I wake up. I, I am not a morning person. <laughs> and that's my family. Right? And so it, it is not the first thing that I think of when I need to, when I wake up, that I need to go immediately and thank the Lord for another opportunity to praise Him. Another day to glorify Him. But that's something I need to be more diligent about. Right? This is a, this is a growth in our diligence. Right? Being mindful of it. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen means, so let it be. Beloved, dearly beloved, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to us. Y'all ever get that way? Lord, I'm trying to do the right thing and things just ain't working. What's going on? Something's off. It shouldn't be this way. Right? TV preacher says I'm going to have health and wealth and happiness now that I'm sending my check to him. He says, don't think it's strange. Don't think that there's some kind of giant mistake that you're having a hard time, that your faith is being tested. That was how the whole letter started. It's not just a general trial, but it's a trial of your faith. Are you going to continue to lean and look to the Lord and glorify Him even in the hard times? He'll send those. He'll allow them to come. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice! Well, well, what? Rejoice that I'm having a fiery trial, which is to try me. That that seems contrary to my old man. He says, no, I don't think I'll care to rejoice. But why? You have a motivation. What is it? But rejoice inasmuch that ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Did Christ suffer in the flesh here? Yeah, yeah worse than anyone ever has. And so in a small, little, little way, you get to be a partaker of that. Right? That's like the apostles. When they were beaten and thrown in jail, they left rejoicing because they were accounted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. If any of y'all ever suffered for Christ's sake? I'm not talking grand scale. I mean, no one here has been martyred or had their arms chopped off or anything like that, but have you ever had to stand fast for something and you knew it was the right thing to do and this is what was going to glorify God and it cost you something? 
Do you remember what it felt like afterwards? It didn't hurt as badly because you knew you were doing the right thing. Okay? You can bear that pain, that discomfort, and that trial because you're participating, you're getting to experience the littlest bit of what Christ went through. And you know what's going to happen? Is that when He comes, you'll have an even greater, even greater appreciation for the glory that's going to come. That when His glory shall be revealed, when He comes back, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. Okay? The Lord could have given us all mountaintop experiences for our entire life. He could. And to go from that mountaintop experience immediately to Christ coming back, He could have done it that way. But if you've never experienced the valley, you cannot appreciate the height that He's carrying you to. Aether, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Y'all ever been through a dark valley? One where it's so steep and you can't see the sun? You know, you only get the sun for about, you know, it's right up there, right? The valley of the shadow of death. You're, you're afraid that your life can be taken at any point. And it may be here, even unto death. But that's okay. You say, preacher, this is not very comforting. To your carnal self, no. This is not comforting. But to the Spirit that dwells within you, those that are living by the Holy Spirit, you can rejoice that I get to be a partaker in Christ's suffering, to be a co-participant. That when His glory is revealed, I'm going to have so much more joy, exceeding joy, than if it had all just been given to me on a silver platter. Have you ever worked really hard for something? Right? Do, do, you, do you care for it? Do you appreciate it? Do you, is there, there's a different level of appreciation for it than something that, hey, that's nice, and somebody just gives it to you. Right? Now, I'm not saying you are on your way to heaven. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that here is a way that the Lord is teaching us how much we can appreciate by showing us how far and how hard it was. And we can't get to the depth of the valley that Christ went into. Right? We're just kind of like at the Grand Canyon, just kind of looking at the limb. Right? You're taking like one step down and he went all the way. Right? We can appreciate it with great joy. So, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, if somebody blasphemes you or calls you out, it's for the name of Christ, happy are ye. You're blessed. Why? For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. You wouldn't be willing to go through that if it weren't for the Holy Spirit already dwelling within you. You wouldn't want to. You can take an encouragement of that. Am I a child of God? Am I willing to be reproached for Christ's sake? Yes. Right? That was one of the things that Paul would say that if I was not preaching the truth anymore, I wouldn't be suffering all this persecution. Right? The, the, the conflict that comes from preaching the true gospel on the cross would have gone away. And this was in response to all the Judaizers who said, you've got to keep the law and the circumcision too. He said, if I was preaching that, I wouldn't have any of the cost. Right? If ye, reproach, be, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of. They're reproaching you. They're blaspheming God, right? They're speaking evil of him. But in that same conversation, while they're blaspheming him, on your part, he's glorified by you standing there and patiently taking it. Right? You're glorifying him when you're being reproached for his sake. Now, just because you're being reproached, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, because you've done wrong, he says there's no glory in that. Right? 
If you are suffering reproach because you are a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or just a nosy busybody in other man's affairs and you're having other man's affairs and you're having trouble for it, he says, Don't 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 think that that's glorifying to God. There's no glory in that. For if any man suffer as a Christian, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let me read verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a busybody in other men's affairs. Don't suffer for those things. They, they, don't go looking for suffering by doing wrong. And that's, that's the old man logic there. But rather, if any man suffer as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I am, I, he's my Lord, he's my leader, and I'm following him. Let him not be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed that someone is reproaching you and heaping scorn on your face. But let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come, that's now, that judgment must begin at the house of God. Is this talking about God's judgment? No, it's going on right now. This is the judgment of men. Like we said back over here, um, verse 6, that those that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh. There's a judgment by the world against us. That's the reproach. That's the suffering that... You're associated with something that I hate, and therefore I hate you, right? That's what the world, the world hated your master, right? And he told them, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. If you were of the world, it would love you, all right? So the, ju- the time has now come that the judgment must begin at the house of God, and that's the judgment of men against it. You standing fast against the wrath and the, the vitriol of the world. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel? Right? That's, that's talking about the final judgment. That's the throne. Right? Throne of God. And if the righteous scarcely be sca- saved, that scarcely is with difficulty. The, the work of Jesus Christ was not an easy thing. This was the highest possible price that can be, pe- be paid. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's no second state patch. There's no other option. There's, there, there's nothing. You cannot stand before the throne of Almighty God on your own merits. All that's there is your demerits, right? The, the sins and the marks against them. The only reason that the righteous can stand is because those have all been paid for in Jesus' blood. And His righteousness has been put upon you. So because of all that, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. So, in the midst of persecution, you're continuing, one, to do well, and you're trusting the soul, your soul, your life, with the Lord. And we read about, you know, I don't know if you've read like Fox's Book of Martyrs, or this, this is, there's been a ton of blood shed by Christians over the years. Like, it's, it's, it's far removed from us but it, it, was, it was common. And if you did not hold to the doctrine of whoever was in power, whether it was king or pope or the inquisition, you, you read all that. Hundreds of thousands of millions of people have been slain for their faith. Right? And so this verse here of, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God, he's allowing it to happen, commit the keeping of their souls to Him. Lord, I'm going to continue to trust You, continue to do what's right, even if it costs me my life. Right? There's a little prayer that um, kids will pray about laying their head down to sleep and committing their soul to the Lord to keep, right? The idea is that I'm trusting Him with my whole life, even if it costs me my life. I'm trusting that He's got it, and I'm going to continue to do well, to keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing 
as unto a faithful creator. Is your God trustworthy? Yeah. He's the only one that's trustworthy. The one who's promised never to leave you or forsake you. The one who's promised you that He's gone to prepare a place for you and where He's at, you'll be with Him. Yeah, He's worthy of your trust. And yet, like Job or his wife, when we're in the midst of that trial, we tend to get a little bitter. Our carnal self says, Lord, why? Demanding answers from God. One, he's not entitled, we're not entitled to that. Right? But trusting for his his goodness and his mercy, just trusting him. Rather than as the wife of Job said, Well, just just curse God and die. Just give up. Right? That's a very different response of Lord, I I know your word says that sometimes you send suffering or you allow suffering and I'm going to continue to do faithfully for that, through that and I know that you've got my soul that there's nothing that I can do to remove myself from your hand. There's nothing that they can do to me. Right? Jesus said, don't fear men. Worst thing they got in their arsenal is killing your body. That's it. Right? But you've got God. And you've got His promises and His Son and what He's done for you. You've got it. So can you go through hard times? Yes, you can. Can you get through them? Yes, you can. Are they unpleasant? Generally speaking. But even in the midst of those, you can still rejoice. What? That does not mean you have to feel happy. If my, if my goal, if my definition of rejoicing is I will feel happy all the time, you're going to have a pretty distorted version of rejoicing. Rejoicing is that my perspective is different because I can look to the Lord and know that Jesus Christ reigns on high. His work on the cross was accomplished fully. That the Father accepted that work by raising Him from the dead. And that same power that raised Him from the dead is what raised me from the dead in my spiritual sense of giving me new life. Same level of power. And that I'm going to be with Him one day. I can rejoice in those truths regardless of the little ripple waves of adversity that we feel here. In perspective to that, there's nothing here that can blow you over. But if you're down here building your sandcastle and your confidence is in your health or your job or your wealth or your family or whatever, and this is what makes you feel secure and happy when those waves come in and knock out your little sandcastle, you're going to feel really distressed. And sometimes the Lord will do that on purpose to us to remind us that castle is not why you're here. You're here to serve Him. Okay, Let us have a focus on Him. Being sober, watching unto prayer, loving fervently, being hospital one to another, um, laying aside all that was before, all those lusts of the flesh, leaving them back. And then ministering to one another to the glory of Him. Right? That's, that's the reason, to glorify God. And we do that by serving Him and by building up His church and by loving our Lord with our whole heart, soul, strength, and body. Thank you all.